Welcome to the TALON project. TALON stands for Teaching and Learning Online Network. As we adjust to the new COVID-19 reality, TALON provides a platform for sharing and discussing resources and practices for remote education. You can learn more at taloncloud.ca. Enjoy this episode. My name is Mac McGinn. I'm joined today with Tom Keenan. Uh, Tom, let's uh, start off with you telling a little bit about yourself, and I understand you have a little bit of a story to introduce uh, at the beginning here as well. So, Sure. Well, I was born in New York City. I went to Columbia University, wound up getting a wide range of degrees there and everything from engineering to philosophy to education. Came to Calgary in 1972 to take a job in the computer services department of the University of Calgary, and I've been there ever since, so I've been here a long time. I have been a professor of computer science. I have been a professor of continuing education, a dean in the faculty of continuing education, and now I have the honor to be both a professor in the School of Architecture, Planning, and Landscape, and an adjunct professor in the Department of Computer Science. My lifelong interest has been cybersecurity, and so you know it's uh, something that's never going to let us down. There's always something surprising, but it also teaches me a lot of lessons. Okay, and when COVID came along. One thing that I learned is that it's always a good idea educationally to give your message right out front, just in case somebody clicks off the video. So I'm going to tell you in the next 90 seconds or so, the key message I want to get across to all of you. And it starts out soon after COVID, I went into a food store and I a big long line to get through there. And I saw this sign, uh, first responders and medical personnel, please, we honor you, come to the front of the line. And I thought, you know, I have a lab coat, right? I mean, most people have a lab coat, but that might not be convincing enough. But then it occurred to me that I have something else, okay? And that something else was has a story behind it. So you should be able to see very soon uh, a slide that says, why the lab coat? I am not a doctor. I have a doctor from Columbia University. I'm not a medical doctor, but I do have this thing. I found this while I was cleaning out some old files. That's me, a much younger me. That's not my name. That's not my title. The Calgary General Hospital doesn't exist anymore. And I actually stared at this for a couple of minutes till I said, oh yeah, I've done some acting work. And I was an actor in a movie. I played a doctor, Dr. Joseph Bullock, in a movie that was shot at the Calgary General Hospital. And just as we were about to roll, the assistant director said, hey, that doctor over there does not have an ID card on. It doesn't look right. So I was marched down to the HR department and issued this ID, which, you know, I just neglected to give back to them at the end of the shoot. And here's the point. Just because I could have used this ID card and this lab coat, which I will shed now, to get to the front of the line, I didn't do it. So my key message about teaching with technology just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. So for example, you can probably spy on your students in whole new ways and find out things about them, but don't do it. Make sure that every use of technology is intelligent. And in fact, I teach a course in intelligent communities and that's the message of that course. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. Very interesting point, Tom. Thank you for, for bringing that up at the beginning here. Um, you know, going forward in, into online education and having to do remote learning, that, that brings up interesting aspects for educators uh, and instructors. 
Um, so uh, going into the interview here, we do have, uh, you know, the, the series two questions that, that we go through. So uh, just to begin, um, so how does your teaching look like now in 2020, um, considering the, the adjustments we've had to make post-COVID? One part of my teaching has not changed, and that's the EDDS 401, the survey course that anybody at the university can take. We've had as many as 120 students sign up in the spring semester, and that was because they didn't have summer jobs, so they thought they might take courses. And that course has been online for nine years now. So we designed it right from scratch to be a totally asynchronous virtual experience for the students. It's very popular, I have to say that, always has a long waiting list. And each week I take one professor, so you know it could be Mauricio Soto Rubio, Graham Limbassy, whoever, and I get them to tell me something really good, like speak in their field of expertise. And I cut that lecture down, just as you do with these podcasts, I'm sure, and I build a, a week around that. So there's a week on urban planning. There's a week on industrial design. There's a couple of weeks on different aspects of architecture, residential, and so on. And that course is the same. In fact, when we had to change our course outlines when COVID came, I took the course outline for that and I wrote no change because there was no change. It was a totally virtual course. My other teaching has moved to Zoom. That is different. Uh, and there are pluses and minuses. So one of the things is that when I have a room for maybe 30 students, I say, go form a group and work on something because I often have them do that. I think they should teach, teach part of the course themselves. Um, they'll go with their friends. Well, now I just push the Zoom button that says assign them randomly and they get to meet everybody else. So it's actually been a plus in terms of doing that. I do see more people getting very distressed. They are you know, just disoriented, people that I sort of know and I think they should be fine. I had one young lady email me this morning, my computer crashed and I've lost my whole final paper. What am I to do? Well, you know, from the computer security guy said, I hope you had a backup, but I gave her extra time. And my teaching assistant said, yeah, you were very generous giving her extra time for that. So I am seeing a lot more on the human side where people are suffering and you know, it works both ways. I had one guy who said, I can't really go to look at a neighborhood in Calgary for EBDS 401. I've never been to Calgary. I'm in Nairobi, Kenya, and I'm a first year student. So I said, well, you know, do a neighborhood in Nairobi, that's fine. But I also thought how weird it must be to be a first year student at a university when you've never even set foot in the country where it's located. Yeah, that is uh, quite different for remote education for sure. Um, you know that that's I think that's the first time in in these, this uh, this interview series that I've had somebody say that their course hasn't changed, or one of their courses hasn't changed. And uh, you know it's 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 good to hear that you know you were kind of already set up beforehand, and then you've also you've learned from that educational aspect of having to do those other courses and having to change that dynamic as well. So let me tell you about um, another one. Sure. So we, we did courses by audio teleconference, so we didn't have Zoom. We didn't have the ability to do this. I would go into, it was like a radio studio, and had people all over the province, and they were all studying computers. And I actually made an amazing discovery. There was a computer, and this is when, you know, 1970s, early 80s, computers were hard to come by. You could actually buy a Timex Sinclair computer for about $100. So I called up the Timex Sinclair people. I said, can you give me a, like a university deal? And they were very, very abrupt. They said, we don't, we're not in computers, we're a watch company. 
I said, I have an ad here that says you sew a computer. And they said, yeah, that was a bad mistake. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, we, we don't sell computers. I said, do you have any? They said, sadly, we have 755 of them. And I said, if we can set a good price, I will buy them all. I think the price was $30. I had them shipped to Calgary. For several years, I had a computer course, in which we gave away the computer. And it was a big thing then. And we decided to try this by audio teleconferencing. And here's the point. I had a student at Peace River. And back then, you had to store your programs on a cassette deck. And he couldn't get it to work. And I couldn't see him. And I finally said, look, Carl, would you please describe your cassette player, cassette machine? And he said, well, it's pink. And it says, my little pony on the side. I said, I think you have your daughter's cassette player. Go buy one that says Sony or Sanyo. The point of this is that I also have learned the limitations. So I swore that very day we would never do a course uh, by audio teleconferencing where we really needed to see the people. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, that kind of leads into the next question as well. Like, what are the opportunities do you think are created by digital education? You know, brilliant ones. I, I chair a board, the ICTC Council of Canada. We normally go to Ottawa three times a year. We have a nice dinner, a nice board meeting. It became very clear that we were not going to be able to do that this last board meeting. And we're all, you know, disappointed. We like to see each other. But I actually talked to my son about it and I said, do you got any ideas? And he said, yeah, you know, why don't you turn it into an opportunity and go out there and find somebody you normally couldn't bring to a meeting? So we found some, you know, minister in Germany or something like that in the German government who was able to give us a perspective. We would not have asked this person to fly over to do a 45 minute presentation. So one of the opportunities is the whole world is there. And I know that in the architecture program, they're bringing in people to do crits that normally would not want to come to the university, wouldn't have the time. Maybe they live in a different place. So it's, it's a good thing and a bad thing. It means the whole world is on the list of guest lectures. And the flip side is what I call the astronaut problem. I happen to know people at NASA and they said, we have this awful thing where the astronauts talk to grade three students. And I said, why is that awful? And they said, well, you know, there's only so many hours in the day and the astronauts are busy. And we have a list of 14,000 teachers who want their kids to talk to the astronauts. So we're going to sort of get into that thing where some of the best guest speakers from around the world are going to get Zoom fatigue and maybe start telling us no. Yeah, that Zoom fatigue is is quite a real aspect. And uh, we were just discussing that before the interview started and that, you know, you're being pulled in so many different directions and asked by so many people to conduct these interviews that, um, you know, making that time commitment and just the mental commitment to be able to go through all that is, is quite extensive. So, um, but I have seen in my courses as well that uh, we've had a lot of get international guest lectures uh, coming in, providing different perspectives that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to, to see or access. So um, on the flip side of that, what challenges do you think are more experienced uh, through this online remote education? I, th I think there's the mental challenge. I mean, as you said, Zoom fatigue and students mm -hmm. who are attending a university in a country that they haven't even been to yet. And I think it's, it's taking a toll on people's psyche, the whole idea of being cooped up. Uh, particularly if you're in an environment where you don't have a space of your own, maybe you're a multi-generational family. So I'm certainly seeing students with that. And the problem is, normally I can look a student in the face and go, you're not doing okay. But on Zoom, you know, you can hide that. And a lot of students actually turn off their video. We encourage them to have the video on. So I might go all class without ever looking somebody in the eye. And so I am worried that they're going to miss that. 
there's obviously questions of academic integrity. Uh, if we can't see a student, you know, how do we know it really is that student taking the test and things like that. Um, I think that's actually an opportunity. I have a doctorate in education, and I think that the idea of putting people in the red gym for three hours with a proctor, you know, walking around to invigilate a timed exam is not always the best way. I'm going to try to be discreet here. Not always the best way to test that they've learned something. So I've come up with ways in my classes where we don't have final exams that are timed like that, but I get a pretty good idea if they know something. Interesting. Uh, I I would like to hear a little bit more about your how you're testing and, and, and going yeah. through that, if you could elaborate a little bit more. So in the course that I have coming up uh, in the winter term, it's a course that anyone can take. It's labeled EBDS 402. It's kind of based on my own research, a book that I wrote, there it is, called Techno Creep, The Surrender of Privacy and the Capitalization of Intimacy. My own book is the text. I don't feel too badly because it's less than $20. And uh, <laughs> and you can use the ebook. But in 402, we have three-hour classes, and that's a little unusual. We meet Monday starting at 11 o'clock. But the way I do it is I give them a lecture. I say, what's my job? To give them a lecture for about the first hour. And then I give them a problem. And they go off. And as I said, I often put them into random groups with their classmates. And then they have to come back in the, in the third hour and then make their presentations. And the result is that their presentation skills get extremely good. There's no question about that. And when it comes to grading, those presentations are sort of microgrades. So each one of them is worth maybe four or 5% of the final grade. And if there's, let's say 10 of them in the course, they get to pick, well, I actually grade all of them. And then I pick the five highest grades. So the reality is every week they learn something, every week they share it with their peers, every week they show it to me. And you know, if they do a bad job, I let them know. I say, you know, you got a C on that first presentation and that's not really up to par and here's how you can make it better. So by, by the end of the term, I actually have a, uh, a really, really good sense of, of what they know and can give honest grades. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, that instead of that traditional, maybe a term project, a midterm and a final, um, being able to test and, and acknowledge their work and their progress by each week yeah. um, is, is, a, is a great methodology to be able to continue that kind of focus and keep their, their attention. Um, throughout that time as well, instead of just being like, well, my project's not due for another three weeks. So it's kind of on the back burner and, and then you're panicking the night before in a way. So that never, that I, never turns out well. No, it doesn't. Um, so you did mention that you use Zoom uh, as one of your yeah. software and tools. Is there anything else that you are using uh, as a kind of a, a primary uh, yeah, sort, uh, software tool? Boards thing in different settings. Uh, to be honest, I mean, the answer to the question, what tool that I use, it's the internet, right? Or, you know, the search engine or whatever. Um, there are specialized search engines or search databases. So if I was going to have students do something on psychology, I tell them to log on to their, their TFDL library account and use PsychInfo because that will help to narrow it. So the global answer is the internet. But we all know you can spend an awful lot of time on the internet and waste your time. So I try to channel them into what are useful resources. So in a course that I teach on smart communities, I'm a, a big fan of the Intelligent Community Forum, which names the Intelligent Community of the Year. So I always tell them, read their stuff, go look at their stuff first. It may take you off in other directions. So I don't want to just say the internet, it's the internet with guidance that directs them to things that I think are going to be useful. I like that you brought up the term guidance um, because 
the internet could just be so broad and you could say, go look at this topic and you can go through so many different avenues and routes. So is there a way that you can provide uh, a good guidance through that software and that tool? Like I, I know you're saying TFDL and just kind of searching into one narrow aspect, but is that kind of the only way to do it or is there more? Um, you know, the, the, it depends by fields. So as I said, in psychology, which I know pretty well, psych info is a curated database. So you're not going to find papers in there on, on you know, high density lumber or something like that. You're going to find relevant articles. Uh, the human beings at the library are actually amazingly good and, and they're accessible by chat. I, I, I hate to tell people this because it'll get really busy there, but the reality is that you give them a research question, you know, they'll at least point you in the right direction and they are human beings. I think they're pretty much all working from home. And most of the time when I go on that library info chat line, there's no delay, they get right on it. So I see nothing wrong with seeking human assistance um, to point you in the right direction. And then, you know, there's peer learning. So all of my courses have discussion boards. Um, they're always a small part of the grade, like an EBDS 401, I think it's 10%. And you have to make a posting every week. Um, it's good if you also reply to each other's postings, but at the very least, you have to make a resource every week. And guess what? I scoop them all up at the end of the term, thank them for them, and then I build it into next term's class because they find stuff that I didn't know. Anybody who tells you they know everything about any field is an idiot, and students, when motivated, even by this little bit of their grade, will go out there and post stuff that I went, hey, I didn't know that existed. So, you know, it really is truly collaborative learning. And, and that's one of the big pluses. I mean, because in many courses where you were just face-to-face -face Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10 to 10.50, there was no space for this. And now we're sort of forced to make space. Absolutely. Uh, I like that, um, you know, the posting each week and then being able to use that progressively for each year. Um, allows you to stay more updated with with what's going on in those articles as well without you having to do all of those readings. It kind of filters it around for you a little bit. I should, I should mention something about that. You have to also teach them how to tell fake from true. So there's a, a famous professor, T. Mills Kelly, and he teaches a course, I want to go take it from him sometime, on fakery on the internet. And so students go out there and their assignment is to make a fake that will fool people. So the most famous one was called The Last Pirate of Chesapeake Bay. And he had people believing that, I think in the 1920s, there were still pirate ships sailing around Maryland and Virginia. And it was such a well-done thing with fake New York Times articles and uh, aged clippings from newspapers that it got picked up by USA Today. On the bright side, the latest one that they tried, where some girl opened up her grandfather's trunk and found trophies that showed that he was a serial killer that was debunked in 22 minutes on the internet so thinking critically is a is an important skill that i try to teach everybody yeah it's uh you know if you're sitting at home and, and trying to to analyze and and gain a perspective on that it, to be nobody really teaches you how to filter that information and, and sometimes we fall into a habit of just taking it for what it is so it's good that you're able to introduce that and, and discuss it with your students and, and, and kind of take the other angle of how about them, you know, providing that, that false information. I like that. That's interesting. Um, is there a, uh, we, we were just discussing all of the different resources and stuff you were using and, and TFDL and things like that. But um, one question we do ask is the favorite resource. Um, that you do have in terms of remote uh, learning and online learning? You know, I've, I've become a pretty big fan of Zoom. I've used it in lots of presentations. And what I like about it is I know it. <laughs> so I know all its features. Although I learned yesterday, apparently you can give yourself a beard or a mustache or something like that. So I haven't tried all of its features. Um, 
one of the reasons I say I like it, I do like the, the visual contact with people. So I'm kind of looking you in the eye right now. And uh, I've done conference presentations all over the world, actually, on other platforms. And often something goes wrong. Like I have a conference on video, a conference presentation on video fakery, where I play some deep fakes. And I would say one time out of three, it doesn't, the audio doesn't come through properly or whatever. So, you know, fundamentally, um, I'm very comfortable with Zoom, but I'm also open to other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems to be the, the go-to, especially with the University of Calgary's being an approved uh, technology for us. Um, so in the final question here, um, this is one of my favorites that I like to ask. Uh, what do you expect higher, ed ed higher education to look like in 10 years? We'll still be going back to campus, but maybe not for everything. I mean, I don't think someone will stay in Nairobi, Kenya and get their entire degree from the University of Calgary. Um, we have other facilities. I mean, there's the Open University in the UK, Athabasca University here that specialize in distance ed. I suspect that most of our students 10 years from now will still have a campus presence, but it will be so much more technology enhanced. So we will be doing things like we're doing now where people can be reached anywhere in the world. Um, I did teach a course once where I was at a conference in Australia and I had to do the presentation um, to Calgary and somehow it lined up that it was in the noonday sun. I don't really know how the time zones worked out, except it got hotter and hotter and I had to keep picking up the computer and moving it uh, to get out of the sun. So they're always going to be like logistical problems, but I think we're going to get beyond that. People now go, oh yeah, you know, you muted yourself. I mean, there should be a sign like this, you're muted or whatever. Um, so I think we're going to get over the hump of using the technology and, and get back to the core of education. So I don't think we're ever going back to what I hated when I took calculus at Columbia University was a boring professor who was more interested in his or her research droning on from eight to 9 a.m you know, reading the textbook, I don't think, what, students are not going to accept that anymore. They've, they, they've seen the holy grail of being able to do things better. I don't think we're ever going to go back. Yeah, I think that hybrid system seems to be more of a common uh, understanding of what we're going to be seeing uh, going forward. And, and one more um, thing, things we can anticipate. I mean, I have my students right now working on augmented reality. I haven't tried the new Oculus uh, VR headset, but people who have tried it tell me it's like being there. So. 10 years from now, there's going to be stuff that we can't even think about now. Absolutely. It's the, the progressive rate at which we're going um, in terms of technology is uh, exponential. So um, I, I thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, meet with us in the, the Talent Research Group and provide your insights into uh, remote education. Thank you for doing this. They're really interesting. Appreciate it, Tom. Take care. This episode was produced by Talon. You can find the video of the interview and more at talentcloud.ca. The Talon project is funded by the Richard Parker Initiative. It is hosted at the School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape at the University of Calgary. Thank you for listening.